you know, it's not like I don't have an option options, um, but I'm always kind of paralyzed by the illusion of choice. Um, so if I'm gonna pick a path, like if I pick like the path that I choose, like I'm gonna like push it that much more because of these experiences. Um, I'm. I don't think I've ever shown this side of me, but I'm pretty fucking like. Um, extreme when it comes to finding an outlet um, mm. like once I start running with it um, and and I need that that's how I thrive but I don't have anything to really push at this point it's kind of meaningless like you know for my studies back in middle school or you know Yu-Gi-Oh or rugby like you know I've always had an outlet and or like even with a club event stuff you know um, but I kind of lost all, all of my outlets so once I found an outlet like I want to really I don't want to sleep, you know. Yeah, so you'd say that something like this, that's part of why you really leapt at when we met Kamasami Kong, and he told us that it was, you know, it, it was a no-brainer that we should do a podcast, that we should start recording our conversations. That was something that really gave you that impetus, you know, that this sort of lack of, this feeling of lack of creativity. Yeah. You find hope in these outlets, these creative outlets. It's been two weeks, week and a half since then, <coughs> and I, I don't think I'm working as hard towards it, well, at least as much as I know I can. So, as a result of that, I kind of lose hope in my abilities. I mean, like, confidence really is a reflection of your beliefs, right? And mm. if you find yourself not acting upon something, um, then you're gonna it's gonna enforce that belief yeah so you know here's me now um like i i i mean that's uh, how do i post words um like if you have no experience with say girls in like dating for example like like me not going to be confident no but like it's a tangible example right but let's say like in terms of like friends like you're very experienced in that so you don't get shy uh, you know you, you have the confidence there like where your confidence lies is what I'm talking about so you sort feel sort of almost virginal when it comes to success in the things that you engage I'm not unfamiliar with it I just haven't like embarked on a journey like you haven't gone all so the way long. I have but just not in so long and well it depends on what you define as all the way you've lost your mojo not, not to make it light I, I guess so, really. No, yeah. I, but I don't believe in losing my mojo. I know it's in there. It's just dormant. I just have to unlock it. I just have to stick with it long enough and hard enough for me to re-realize, or realize, <laughs> realize my uh, mojo, if that makes any sense. I just haven't, I've been dormant this entire fucking time, like in college, like, um, I don't know, I maybe I'm being harsh for myself, but I don't think I'm living up to like, like I'm not producing as much as I know I can. Like, I know it's in there, I just... But, like, now we're given this opportunity. Well, now I'm given this opportunity. And it's like, okay, well, you know, why why, aren't, why am I not, you know, really pushing it? You know, am I, mm. just, am I just kind of, like, held down by my responsibilities for school? Or, you know, am I too obsessed about routine? Or, you know, do I just have a long checklist of things that means nothing? Or... Um, do I have like preoccupying thoughts or you know like what's holding me back 
you know like, I don't understand like when I when I went with Redbeard for example I mean I don't think I told you but I went pretty fucking far like I was pretty much two steps before getting into the Rio Olympics like I went fucking all the way I guess well I didn't go all the way but in my mind at least like I fucking pushed it I fucking grinded you know but then I lost that and I don't see myself pushing hard in something long enough in anything else mm. you know if I approach school with the same attitude then who knows I'd be out of there by then but I didn't and I feel like those habits kind of um, made its way into who I've become and I'm comparing that to who I used to be and I want to bring that back because what we have in front of us is something worth pushing for you know that's, I think I, yeah, it's, that's it's an interesting really point I mean to compare school rugby and then these other ideas in front of you I mean like the, the creation of a podcast when encouraged by someone as successful and as objectively great as someone like Kamasami Kong th- that's an interesting thing that's something you kind of want to run with and it's, it's always been my dream to work in broadcasting to be a figure of some kind in media to be able to ask people to ask questions um, but with rugby rugby was something that you did as a passion it was part of the culture that produced you being from New Zealand it was just like a weekend thing you know yeah but I mean when you, especially in Japan you also ran with it when you were in school up in... Where did you go to school? Before Waseda? In just a regular Japanese high school. I was going to go to international school, but they didn't have a rugby team. So I guess I was invested in rugby team. In yeah. Rugby. That's interesting. But then you look at university. I mean, we, we're part of the f- one of the first generations where university is an expected experience. It's almost an extension of the K-12 through for someone. It is. Uh, it used to be, you know, a standard part of the upper class existence. Right. Then upper middle class, and then the in- entire middle class, which is now rapidly disappearing. Right. So you have people who have shifted into the lower class, and you have people who have shifted into the upper class as the economic divide grows uh, in the first world. Um... So yeah, you think that being stuck in university, not having the drive to really go all the way through university and the sort of four-year plan, I mean, you're now shaped who I've become. Like, yeah, I really believe that, and I and like I, I, I want to detach myself from that belief, but you can only do that by proving it to yourself. Um, yeah, right. I mean, I don't want to bring up dating again, but that, that just seems like best example. Sorry. Um, no, no, it's it's a, it's kind of a, it it's a, allegory, not an allegory. It it's a metaphor that makes sense. Oh, well, I don't mean that as a metaphor. I mean, I mean that's how I believe, um, how beliefs work, you know, um, to some extent. I mean, how do you believe in something you've never seen, right? And if or like <coughs> you've experienced, um, confidence really. I mean, confidence is belief. And faith, faith, and faith and belief. I mean, it can be tangible. Like if, like I don't have the confidence that I can run 15 kilometers, but I have the faith that I, well, I have the confidence I can run 10, only because I've done it before. Right. That's like affirmation to myself. Oh shit, I can do it. You know, if I've done it before, then I'm going to be more familiar with it. And that, and well, that's how I see confidence at least. But anyways. But you're um, dropped into something like university, and yeah, and doing it like in four years is not. It's 
with yeah. the way university has changed, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of this credit stuff. There's an expectation of figuring out what you want to do within a year or two of arriving. Yeah. How you think your degree will go into that. Yeah. It, it's strange stuff. And... But it really shapes you. I'm talking about characteristics here. I mean, it really shapes who you are. Yeah. Or at least it's an expression of it, you know? And I don't think, you know, it's just... I'm not okay with it. And that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. Like, you know, yeah. um, that you're not okay with. You know you can do better. You know? <coughs> and, you know, now we have this opportunity. Like, um, I don't know. I just... I know I, I know I know I can push more. I had maybe not an exactly a similar experience, but ever since I was a young child, ever since being in elementary school, I found I don't know, maybe I didn't disagree with the school system, but I wasn't beloved by it. I was I can remember pretty much every other day in elementary school all the way through, I would wind up in the principal's office for for Oftentimes, not even any sort of outlandish act, just being an energetic kid. Mm. And I got this sense that I was kind of universally hated by people I considered older and wiser and more tolerant than I was. You get this sense that teachers are supposed to be wise, kind, motherly, or fatherly figures. Mm. And I spent a lot of my life by camp counselors, by my teachers, by other teachers who, if I were in a different classroom, would even join in them with their students. With the sort of ridicule, I, I felt very much on the outside. I felt, I, I grew this contempt for myself, which I eventually realized was sort of a contempt for the people in authority over me. Uh, had so how, how did that shape your view on authority overall? It was terrible. I, um... When you don't, when you think that everyone in authority doesn't respect your opinions, doesn't respect your viewpoint, uh, thinks that you're obnoxious, thinks that you're detrimental to the society, isn't looking for how to accommodate you, you develop very negative opinions about the society that creates those systems and how society treats you. So a lot of the political beliefs that you have, can you say that is merely reactionary? That's an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, because it was such a formative part of my life. Yeah. I was a child. I was developing consciousness and... How old were you? Like, how old were you? I was probably in my younger ages, so before 10, around 10, all the way kind of into high school. I, uh... This is when I was starting to become conscious. I have a lot of very clear memories of being labeled a problem child, being yelled at, being ostracized by the class. I had this idea of my classmates as a unified group. I didn't really notice conflict between them. They seemed very in tune with one another, with their teachers. They seemed to be beloved. I mean, even if I wasn't throwing them, I would get in trouble for making paper airplanes. Doing things like drawing in the margins of my work or making paper airplanes would get me in trouble would get me ridiculed and I didn't see it as any detriment it wasn't a problem I wasn't causing a ruckus I was just doing things with my hands and that really had me 
set aside and saying stupid things as a child. I, I can't remember a point between... I can't ever remember being explained why certain things were bad in a rational way. Mm-hmm. I'm listening. And I can't really remember any point where I was where people made an effort to understand me. There were certain organizations, I remember there, the school counselor in elementary school made a little club which I eventually realized was for the problem kids. And I remember that most That's of so us... fucked up. It, it, it really mean, was. Like, if you think about it, like, I mean sure, like it really caters to, you know, those the few individuals, but if you think about it, it's just a room or a class for those that don't fit in. It was almost and like special ed. That's the like way it felt. But, but like people don't fit in in different ways. Like just because you don't fit in doesn't mean you'll fit in because you all don't fit in. Like you have to cater yeah. to each individual. I was in this thing called GNT, gifted and talented, which was it. supposedly I an fucking knew it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was supposedly like an an accelerated learning thing for kids who did really well on the SOLs. I think they were called. SOLs. Uh, a sort of standardized test for younger kids oh, in right. the public education system. Uh, so we got put in gifted and talented. Uh, and then we were... The name changed to advanced education. Gifted and talented wasn't, uh, I guess, very PC. Wait, so this wasn't a different school, but just a program? No, it wasn't a different school. We were in the same school as everyone else, but we were put into a separate classroom. It was the major- it, w- it was a bigger class, but then from that group, there were... About four of us There was myself There was another Kid who I remember Was a compulsive liar uh, Compulsive liar So he must have been A really good liar He was an incredible liar I believe Tell Every me story he told. It was pretty funny uh, Looking back now I, it was It's really funny But in the moment you know, When you discover That a kid is lying to you About the massive Underground city Where adults aren't allowed And that there are Pocket vending machines That can reorganize Atoms into anything That you want You know that, that you really getting into that, or the idea Where that goes through? I mean, like, how does he fit into society? Is he like the last time what I kind of saw him? Occupation would. I don't know where he is. I don't know what university he ended up at. But I remember the last time I saw him, probably in senior year of high school, because we lived on within two blocks of one another. So we would run into each other every now and again. I remember I said "fuck," and he he derailed the conversation between myself and the other guy, who was also in this group. And, you know, told me very sternly not to say that. And I couldn't tell if he was serious. I couldn't tell if he actually believed that. If there was something that he really felt strongly about when it came to language. Social chameleon? Or, yeah, or maybe he was doing the kind of thing that I do where, you know, when confronted by tourists who see me as, a, as an approachable target for, for a good time uh, here in Tokyo, uh, maybe he was just getting a laugh trying to confuse me. Which, you know, I, I I don't appreciate with someone, you know, I know. I remember the other guy, who, and the three of us remained friends because we all lived in pretty close proximity to one another in our little suburban neighborhood on the outskirts of Washington, D.C. The third guy, he was this Jewish kid, um, and he was a really cool guy. He, got, he started adapting to the tastes of his parents very early, and I remember he loved jazz. He loved vocal jazz. So he got me into this sort of field of... Frank Sinatra, Mel Torme, uh, and those kinds of guys very early on. Aretha Franklin. Uh, 
I remember I would sometimes go over to his house and we would play video games and watch old cartoons and kind of hang around. And uh, last I heard from him, he wound up in a school uh, that... Uh, it Basically, it started... It's a university that starts two years early. You're supposed to be done by the time... With university by the time that other people... Wait, are so you join at the age of, what, 16? You get out of, co- out of high school in your, like, sophomore year, and you go to this place. And a l- for a lot of people, they either end up transferring to a better school, uh, or they stay there the full four years. But no matter what, they end up finishing university two years. I like the idea of that, years. because you can still get along with people that are in the same age group. I mean, if you <coughs> skip a grade, for instance, you're, um, you're going to have some social problems. Um, socializing, getting along, fitting in. Yeah, there's that whole uh, Did you have idea that for some people, school is too slow. You never <laughs> considered that's why that? they have trouble. I uh, no, I never considered it. I uh, I mean, you're pretty well socialized, so that's a pretty uh, rare trait. And I sometimes wonder why that is, given how much time I spent alone living you're in suburbia. Naturally, a people person, though. I mean, it also sounds like the suppress. I mean, say quarantine, for instance. That just gives you more fuel to meet people so if you're ever you know in, in suburbia then I was in kind of a quarantine for almost innate much of my childhood yeah, yeah it was that fuel yeah. and it, it kind of honed that sort of obnoxious impulsive bombastic that personality of mine upbringing though like how about your parents were they my what kind of education? father like went to Yale my mother went to Harvard they met at a business graduate school relatively famous in Virginia um, and I remember it was very funny. I, I found out the story of my parents' me- meeting because they went to the same graduate school, but they didn't meet until a little bit afterwards. And the story is very funny. My father apparently went up to my mom at some kind of party and got her phone number in front of a bunch of different people, called her after a week, and they were married in 11 months. 11 months? Yeah, less than a year. Are those the best? I, I, I think about this often, but do you think it's easier to just, not easier, but do you think it's better to just, boom, like get married quick and find out later? Or what's your approach with this? Like, do you, or would you rather take your time? I've, I, I spend time thinking about this because, I mean, I'm a college student and. It's something know, I, I couldn't you answer. See a lot I of mean. These uh, short term relationships, but then you hear the success stories of, you know, 11 months or even shorter and yet they're. Or those arranged marriages. To accumulate wealth in a community, hey, I have nothing to say about that. But I've never seen <laughs> that, but who knows? It's, it, how these things it's an interesting thing. I think uh, like one of the determining factors of a successful relationship. I mean, you being someone very social, you also place a lot of value in intimate relationships. So, you know, this might be something that something worth considering. It's something I do consider because how much investment you put into yeah. certain people. I'm very big on spending the time with specific people and you know, making sure that you take advantage of the opportunity that someone presents you by being a human being yep. in your life. There's a lot to learn. Even if everyone seems like the same old schmuck over and over again, everyone's crazy but you. Um, it's, 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 a, you know, it's an extremely worthwhile thing to cultivate relationships. And I don't think I could ever imagine winding up married to someone who I didn't have some kind of intimate understanding of. 
I mean, I've heard plenty of stories that go both ways. I, I, I've heard friends who've known each other their entire lives who end up, once they're adults, falling in love and marrying and deciding that they're the best fit for one another. There are people who are close friends who uh, wind up marrying and decide that they were much better off as friends. There are arranged marriages where you would think that there was no room for love in something like that, that they had to, at best, learn to love each other, where the tragedy of one's death it disrupts the entire life of the other, and you wouldn't expect that. And I want to know then, like, why don't you have any bitter feelings? Well, maybe you do, but why, why don't you don't come across as bitter uh, towards authority or, I guess, you know, people in the system? Um, they're pretty well adapted. I think is that was that a conscious choice or? I don't know if it was a conscious choice. I, uh, well, I mean, it partly was, because was. when I was about fifteen years old, I decided to make this. I decided to start looking at life through other people's shoes. I remember the moment I was standing in the hallway of my high school, walking around the stone floors. I was very frustrated. I felt just completely misunderstood. I felt like I was very annoying. I disliked myself a lot. And I decided, I, I kind of accidentally created my own version of Korzybski's general semantics. You know, this whole look at the world through other people's lives, which is part of why Rod Serling's work on The Twilight Zone and Philip K. Dick's works appeal to me so greatly is because they're all about this thing that I decided to start doing and which completely changed my life from a pretty young age. So I've always had this kind of... So it's not like a mask or a persona no, or a layer. It's genuinely someone that you... Well, so a person that emerged out of those decisions. Yeah, it was, it was a very real aspect and it still is of my personality and something I don't ever intend on sacrificing. But the, the reason it's such an interesting problem is because when you get those experiences from a very young age of being berated and you feel a lot of contempt from and for authority figures and for the supposed majority in society, you, you develop a lot of negative feelings. And so what I've had for a long time is that sort of impulse where you, anyone who knows me will see that I'm very kind of naturally critical of foreigners I see walking around, even though I myself am as a foreigner uh, am living in to Tokyo. Japan, though. The whole gaijin stare thing. That's I pretty mean, unique to Japan. I do it everywhere. But totally. uh, <laughs> I, I'm not big into the gaijin stare, but it's, it's pretty funny because I have a lot of impulsive reactions, but I'm very keen on understanding individuals. Then, then again, on the other hand, you know, you have people that have fucked up lives and they just happen to be the most compassionate people. So it's, I guess it's not a direct correlation. It can be the complete opposite. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I lost not any of my... Not fucked up life. <laughs> no, no, I had a <laughs> generally pretty solid life, but I, was, I de definitely felt not in place. But I I it's worth discussing because I still have a lot of those impulsive reactions. I have a lot of broad opinions about certain systems, certain governments, certain peoples, and all that kind of jive. But I'm very keen on understanding the in individual, and I'm very keen on individuals understanding me. That's why I'm so intent on always making sure that I spend at least a few hours, at least once, with every person I know I'm going to spend time with. And when I can't do that, I'm, I know myself to hit up any random bar that's open past midnight if I miss Shuden, last train, and see who I can talk to. Sometimes it's the bartender. Uh, I've told you stories about 
the Australian lawyer who I ran into and ended up spending the entire night with, he was someone very much like you who's keen on asking questions, who's keen on understanding where a unique viewpoint from's, comes from. So he engaged me on a lot of my philosophies. I don't know. He, I don't remember how it started, but that was a, just a, a prime example of Those a very... the best kinds of interactions, going yeah. back to Nampa. Yeah, right. a, a very Nampa situation. Very nampa e. yeah. He heard me speaking Japanese, he saw me reading... Did he Nampa you or did you Nampa him? Do you remember that? I can't remember. I think he might have Nampa'd me because I was clearly having a dialogue with the bartender about music. The, the, the bar was named The Nightfly after Donald Fagan's album. Going back to our conversation earlier in the night about 1950s America, uh, especially from the perspective of someone who grew up in the 60s in the reaction period. Uh, and made music all the way into the 80s, including this album. Sort of a nostalgic reflection on an era he never had. To tick off that first box if you, you know, all have, if you have a bar that attracts people with similar musical interests, then you're going to check off that first box. You can, you know, the icebreaker will be done. Yeah, it's not just a sort of so 80s or 60s themed bar, it was definitely very explicitly themed around this one album by this one artist with a very particular set of themes. So that Is was there very like interesting. An application or some like phone app where you can classify, well, identify certain niche bars that that fit with your interests? That's a very interesting idea. Like say for example, like I want to talk to people that have been in college for more than four years. You know, I think there's something that like you know, that National Lampoon film. Right, so if there was like a niche bar or a space where you could talk, I'm, I'm sure you have like reddits for these kinds of things, but in form of bars in a city like Tokyo, you're bound to have at least a thousand loyal customers. Now, I'm just saying it off the top of my head, but how about for something more mainstream, say esoteric but mainstream, well, like something more universal, say. Uh, That's a really curious idea because what you figure in a big city like Tokyo that there are hundreds if not thousands of different bars, cafe, and restaurants given right. the sheer size of Tokyo and the density of the way things are constructed. So things are designed to suit certain customer bases. Right. But then again when you go online you can't find a map for the physical... The physical manifestation of Reddit. And Pretty much. Only it's kind of funny. If only 10% of restaurants will survive I mean it's commonly known that only yeah like not even 10% of restaurants make it past the second year you know, but that's but kind of interesting that you would call it the physical manifestation of reddit because I, f I find reddit to be an incredibly unpleasant place because I don't believe <laughs> it, it, it's this place where you you can your find people who are interested in your most niche calling or hobby or passion or whatever, whatever have you yeah. and so without the negative <coughs> I mean just because you're you know you're all into Donald Fagan you know you might have the complete opposite political view but you know I mean yeah if, if there is a space for I mean Tokyo is that's the great thing about Tokyo you know there is a subculture and space for everyone but where the how do you get into those communities the bars I've the talked about this before the, the way the internet has sort of permitted all the sickos and freaks and on the other end of the spectrum the noble-minded and intellectuals to find one another in their specific callings um, it's coffee meets bagel 
Yeah, that's a dating your app. Your favorite dating but, app, yeah. But, you know, that can be in form of a bar. I mean, that can be in form of, um, I, mean, I guess, like, link. Uh, I mean, like, as demographics become more and more robust, I'm uh, not robust, but more uh, segregated and defined, mm. right? I mean, that's how I mean, compare marketing from the 80s to 2020. I mean, you have target advertising. Well, how. You know, you're going to have to get more detailed with the psychographics and profiles um, as yeah. data accumulates. And you'll have a better understanding of each particular individual, or clusters of individuals, right? And that will be a more accurate means to determine what kind of bars, let's say bars, should exist and shouldn't in which places. You know, we have some general idea of what kind of person we're bound to meet in Shibuya during, you know, a Friday night. Yeah. But how You're about a more place open like anything? Right. But let's say you have, you know, many Donald Fagan fans in Gotokuji Station yeah. for some reason. Or, I mean, a more specific example, <laughs> that bar in Wasada that's sort of an, uh, <coughs> a meeting place for Japanese far right. Yeah, I've, yeah, I told you about that. I've never been there, though. That'd be interesting. See, th those kind of places were defined pre-internet, and then we have the internet, which allows people, especially in a population that is as atomized as the United States. I was talking about this the way the elimination of distinct European cultures in America led to the creation of a white monolith, and then white Americans moved out into the suburbs, pursuing their own brand of wealth, and so people are reforming on the internet in the digital. They're more comfortable not having that, not necessarily having that intimate precursor to knowing someone. It's sort of a pen pal of massive scale. And then you're looking at this app, your, your original idea, a digital app that accounts for those interests in the same way that something like Reddit does and finds you the physical locale for meeting in those kinds of places. I don't think Reddit was the best way to put it. Reddit's Let's a good example, though. I mean, form, you look at the a subreddit. Form. A subreddit, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the, the oh. subreddit is the function that allows people to find one another. You can find anything as specific, find anything as broad as black people making Twitter posts and then getting curated on a Reddit to something like... I mean, we have Twitter, then we have black Twitter, but that's not like a subreddit. It's just one realm of Twitter. No, but they make Reddits that broad, you know. Okay. And uh, for whoever is interested in that, and then you have people who make an extremely specific type of aquarium. You know, the kind without fish that's designed to replicate yeah. small environs. Um, how easy would Nampa be if you have a bar or a space where you know what that first... You know that the girl across the counter is going to listen to The Nightfly by Donald Fagan. Which I mean is why this bar is so interesting. Increases the possibility of getting... of having some chemistry. You know? Yeah. I mean, Sure, we can take a random sample in the middle of Shinjuku, but what are the odds of that? And obviously, you know, we have the social stigma. <laughs> They're going to be put off by it. Yeah, the whole Nampa but thing. But if you provide the right environment, you can fit in regardless of who you are, even if you are an outcast, you know. Uh, there is a place for you, but Which someone has to... Maybe ties into <laughs> that idea of encouraged serendipity. Encouraged serendipity. Okay. But then, of course, I mean, that's part of what makes finding love seem so appealing, especially in media, and for a lot of people who tell you the story of how they met someone they truly fell in love with. Uh, 
is the chance, the miraculous finding of someone at your job, at your school, in that yeah. bar that you frequent? It's more memorable. Is it more memorable? And does that does that account for? It seems to mean more than when you to go to the more. same Reddit and you find. So um, so what you're getting to here is basically it's unpredictable. But what if? profiles become more predictable I mean let's look at one another if it, I mean I'm sure some people do their due diligence on social media before meeting someone in real in real life you have some degree of predictability right mm. so what do you think about that as data accumulates as I guess social media profiles become more elaborate uh, you're gonna know more beforehand well there's also the problem of the more there's no mystique, there's no, like, there's no... No, no, there's none of that. There's there's this issue of refining the specific granules of personality and interest. I, it's sort of like the pixels on a phone or on a computer. You know, we start out with some very basic pixels very basic images that can be created by very simple screens. And we're getting better. We make finer and finer images. But they're still going to be divided. They're still going to be categorized. It's not going to be natural in the way that a chemical film print of a photograph is going to be, or the way that a drawing is. Even a drawing is sort of a deliberately created stroke-by-stroke stroke piece of work. It's a... Uh, I don't know. Categorization kind of defeats itself, I think. Because the more refined you try and make it, the more difficult it is to even keep track of. It, it's going to ultimately defeat itself when you try and categorize your personality types. And ultimately, people will never be able to fully align unless they really abstract their general ideas. You know, the more specific you get into when you become a super fan of a band or an artist, then the more limited your range is. What are the chances that you're going to find someone who loves Kiss as much as you do? You kind of think of that as a stereotype of like the old MTV days. You see a couple on TV who go to every Kiss or every Grateful Dead concert. And yeah, it's probably an oversimplification because there are other interests, so to speak, especially it's something like but Grateful Dead. How do these relationships that are basically founded on, I don't mean to trigger anyone here, but relatively... Uh, superficial interests when I mean superficial I mean something that is based on a favorite eccentric it, it's an eccentric, eccentric. idea it, it's something besides it's the self well I mean eccentric when you really look at what it means it's it's not about the person it, it's not the really the person it's what the person likes it's something else that is self-definable and okay. it's an individual craft it kind of but does that bring two people closer? I mean, relatively, I mean, generally speaking, does that bring people closer? Or is it the more, I guess, intuitive, intangible thing that brings people together? Let's say you like shisha, I like shisha. Well, you take the first box off, but... Well, when you have something big, when you have a big pixel, you have that one thing that aligns, you have Kiss, the band. And you both love Kiss. And then maybe from there you start to find little things about one another that 
you maybe can't define or maybe you don't need to define because at least you always have Kiss. You always have the band that you both love. Religion. But it, it's interesting because people don't... Yeah, religion is a good one too. You know, finding a nice Muslim girl in New York City as a Muslim man. It's an interesting thing. Uh, I mean, you have to have certain characteristics to follow Kiss to that degree. I mean, especially in times like these. Yeah. I mean... But there's also the matter of not focusing on things about the individual. You're focused more on maybe the fact that they like Kiss. You don't need to, maybe you don't need, feel the need to think about the other things, the things that really define that person as an individual. It's an interesting idea. This has been Hold Out with Romney Rose and Yuki Neal, live from Tokyo.